Welcome back to America's leading higher education podcast network, the EdUp Experience, where we make education your business. This is EdUp Edge, the STEM edition, committed to bringing you great conversations with some of the most talented minds. I'm your host, Dr. Tamonte Leary. Welcome, everyone, to the EdUp Ed STEM podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Tamonte Leary, and I'm very excited to have my guest today, Ms. Danielle Rose, who is the CEO of Smash. And we're going to get more into what she does at Smash. Danielle, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right, Tamonte. Thank you for having me today. Great, great. I'm really, really glad to have you. Um, when I found out you were going to be, you know, a guest, I was like, hip hop hooray. I know <laughs> our listeners are going to love this. And, and you, you know, you have a lot that uh, they're going to be able to learn from. So with that being said, Danielle, let's, let's start with kind of how you, um, wh- where did you grow up? So I'm born and raised in Oakland, California, uh, East Oakland to be specific. And I, yeah, I I went to um, elementary school through middle school and then high school, I actually went to boarding school in what felt like a a whole different world away from Oakland. Um, But it was only probably about two hours away, if that much. So um, that, but that was my experience here in the Bay Area before heading off to college. Awesome. And speaking of college, you went to the prestigious Georgia Tech, also known as Georgia Institute of Technology. Yeah. Um, we at Microsoft, I, you know, work at Microsoft. We actually, we, we tap into Georgia Tech for talent quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and you studied mechanical engineering at Georgia Tech. How in the world did you decide that that's what you wanted to pursue in college? Where, you know, what sparked your interest there? Because I, I, I must say, I don't think I knew anyone who was studying mechanical engineering when I was in school. Yeah, so, um, well, first and foremost, I, I have to um, annotate a little bit what your, your uh, reference to where I went to school. First and foremost, I am an incredibly proud graduate of Spelman College, um, forever indebted to that experience. And so I then, yes, did also pursue um, an undergraduate degree as well as a graduate degree from Georgia Tech. So my but wait, journey- let's talk about before we get yeah. to Georgia Tech, let's talk about yeah. Spelman then. Let's yeah, talk about let's, that. Let's that. Yeah, because Spelman <laughs> is one of my favorite HBCUs, also okay. in the, I guess in the same area as Georgia Tech, you know, like yeah. Atlanta Metro. Yes. Um, so you know that that does make sense that you know a natural transition there. But let's start off with Spelman then. I mean, I, I, I the, the most I know is that it's one of the best institutions in the country. It's one of the best. Yeah. It, I, was like, <laughs> one, I don't know. That might be UNC Chapel Hill, but okay. Oh, okay. Uh, it's, it's okay. A, <laughs> it's one of the, so it's, according to you, the best institution in the country and, and definitely, you know, the best, one of the best HBCUs in the country. Yeah. Um, why, you know, why Spelman? And, you know, we, uh, you know, I'm sure you had options. Mm-hmm. Why did you choose to go there? And what, what is it like, you know, by HB? I mean, you literally have, had both experiences. You had an mm-hmm. undergraduate experience at HBCU and you had an undergraduate graduate experience 
at a PWI, you know, public white institution. So talk to us about, you know, that experience and the differences. So interested to hear about it. Absolutely. Yeah. So I started, um, let me, I'll go back to my high school experience. As I was talking about, I, I was, I attended a boarding school outside of the Bay Area and, you know, to no surprise, um, I was one of a very small handful of uh, black and brown students attending that school. I actually attended um, the school on scholarship from uh, A Better Chance, um, which is a national organization that basically works to support um, underrepresented, low-income um, black and brown students to attend these exclusive college preparatory schools all around the country on a sliding scale of financial support. So I, I went to high school. I had a very, um, you know, at, very, at, at various times isolating experience or an isolated experience um, where by I definitely could not relate necessarily coming from Oakland, coming from a single parent household um, that was also in, you know, we were low income and being immersed in an environment where there are all of these um, very well to do, um, sometimes rather conservative uh, white students and a white um, staff, white instructors. And so I didn't have the diversity that I basically grew up in my early um, school days, basically here in Oakland. And so I, I had that, that high school experience. And so when it came down to me really thinking about what colleges I was going to apply to, where I wanted to attend, I mean, I, I just, I chose a pretty significant large swath of schools. I applied to 13 schools total. And because it was also a bit of a competition in the dorms uh, at my boarding school to put post all your acceptance letters on the on the door. Um, and so did, did you apply to multiple HBCUs? I did apply to multiple HBCUs. Okay. Um, I'll, I can name a few. Howard uh, was for sure in there. Hampton, um, Clark. And I think that might have been all um, for the HBCU apps. But I also then in turn applied to Ivy Leagues as well as other um, top engineering institutions because I did know coming out of high school that I was going to major in engineering. So, you know, I, I applied I, and then when it came down to me deciding, actually I was advised by not only some of my Kind of extended family members, as well as my career or college counselor at the at the school that said, you know, why would you not go to an Ivy League? You have this, you know, you have this educational uh, background. You've attended this exclusive college preparatory private school. Um, and you've done all of these different activities and special initiatives. Why would you go to HBCU? Um, and I was taken aback by that. I, I really didn't understand why, you know, I thought that, you know, Spelman um, alone, I was very intrigued by because of 
this idea of going into a world that would be, I would be surrounded with people who look like me, who could relate to my experiences, and we were all there to learn. And, and you got more, more house across the street, right? And we got more house across the street. So yes, yeah, it wasn't, it. you know, solely just, we, there was, there was definitely diversity and Clark right next door, right? So it's like, we're all there in the Atlanta University Center. And now mind you, I will, I will admit and, and definitely I think it should be noted, I had never been to Atlanta um, before. The first time I arrived in Atlanta, Georgia was getting dropped off um, my, the summer before my freshman year. And I'd already, that was because I was attending a pre-college uh, summer science engineering program. So I made this decision more so being driven by the fact that I had such an isolated experience in high school, being um, immersed in an environment that I just, I, that wasn't representative of what my experiences had been to date, nor did I feel seen or really um, valued. And so, and my voice being valued. And, and I, I definitely did not want to continue that experience moving into college. So that's how I came to the conclusion of saying, well, you know what? Yes, I have all these um, offers to go to, you know, be it Ivy League, top, you know, institution, engineering institutions, um, I'm going to go where I believe I'm going to be nourished as much as I'm going to be nurtured throughout my educational experience. And, and that is exactly what I got and then some going to. So, so it's, it's almost like, you know, when, when people were questioning why you would make that decision, it's that, you know, they were probably falsely assuming that you would have less, you know, Absolutely. that you really had more, you had more more it sounds like you had more support more resources more networking um and that's really important you know in the college experience i think that's something that needs to be highlighted in you know the hbcu experience you're not just a number you know i i can't i i, I you know i was in my freshman class you know classes i was one of you know three or four hundred um you know my mm -hmm. my professors didn't know my name um they didn't know if i was in class or not what is it was that you know um was it like that at Spelman not at all I mean uh one I have to um especially call out the fact that I not only did I choose to go to Spelman but Spelman also chose me for a uh NASA scholarship so I was uh a recipient. Wow, wow, wow. Ride. That is incredible. Yes. Talk yeah. to us about, so a NASA's, I mean, I'm sure that's something that's still around for my listeners who may be interested. Can you talk a little bit about that scholarship and what, what that afforded you? How'd you get it? Yeah, absolutely. So I, um, I was a women in science and engineering scholar, WISE scholar. Um, it was the acronym. Um, it was the first of its kind in terms of a partnership that um, our, she was an incredible matriarch and an advisor for the WISE scholar program. And that was Dr. Etta Faulkner. Um, she has since uh, transitioned from this world, but um, her legacy lives on quite prominently. And so she um, created this relationship. She brokered this partnership with NASA, whereby all of the NASA sites would sponsor um, a at least one scholar, uh, one Y scholar. And so 
they provided us not only a full scholarship for either if you were receiving a bachelor's of science there at Spelman, you could, your scholarship would end at the four years. Or if you did the dual degree engineering program, which is what I did with Georgia Tech, it was five years. So five years completely covered. Um, we received a book, a book stipend. We also, the, the really incredible aspect above and beyond what was already great, right, of receiving this financial aid was that I also being sponsored by myself, Jet Propulsion Laboratory in the Pasadena, Altadena area in Southern California, I worked there every summer for my undergraduate studies. So, I, and it was a paid internship. So I had, you know, there was never the burden, which is quite prominent and relevant. I know where you're going. Right? I know you're going. You're gonna. You're, are you gonna say you didn't have the burden of, of student loan debt, right? Absolutely, did not. That's, that's did not. amazing. Yes, that's and amazing. I am. I mean, that changed. I mean, that changed the whole game for um, me, and especially in um, in my cohort. It was thirteen of us um, that came in together, and then there were cohorts ahead of us. So we had this whole. We had a sisterhood within the sisterhood. Um, and and, and of, let's let's be yeah. clear. Let's let's make sure our our, our listeners understand this. Yeah. You essentially got five years paid of school so within that time you managed to get a full essentially your bachelor's and a master's which mm -hmm. we're going to talk a little bit more about two bachelors two, excuse me a double bachelor's and a <laughs> master's which we're going to talk about yeah and you and, and and you didn't you you got it on scholarship is that, is on that scholarship, fully funded that's amazing you know most people you know listening or, and just most people in general when you hear about getting a full ride to to undergrad yeah, uh, that's amazing that that NASA scholarship affords an opportunity to not only get a full ride, if, you know, an undergrad, but also to get a master's as well. That's so unbelievable. Well, Thank you for sharing about that. that. Yeah, absolutely. I want to call out a quick little uh, correction. So I didn't I got my I got two degrees for from NASA under the sponsorship of NASA. So I got my bachelor's in mathematics and my bachelor's in mechanical engineering from Georgia Tech. The mathematics degree was from Spelman. Gotcha. And then I went on to grad school and I was a gym fellow for grad school and Ford Motor sponsored my graduate program. Now you are just <laughs> a rock star. Uh, first of all, you know, the fact when I mean, we're talking about STEM and STEM, I mean, you, you're a mathematics major, yes. a mechanical engineering major in undergrad, and then you went on to, to get a master's degree in mechanical engineering. I did, what? yes. That's so amazing to me. So what, 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 what even got you into, from, mm -hmm. math, from math to mechanical engineering? Like connect those dots there. And, um, you know, when it, when, when it comes to, you know, earning a master's versus a bachelor's, you know, I guess talk a little bit about the differences there and yeah. um, definitely want to hear about the, the fellowship as well. So that's all of this is just incredible stuff. Sure, sure. So I, um, okay, so my journey, my STEM journey actually started really early uh, around the age of probably 11, uh, 11 or 12 years old. I was one thing that I, I've always been just a curious, I was a curious kid. I was a tinkerer as a very young, at a very young age. And tinkering looked like for me, um, understanding why the vacuum cleaner is not working, what happened to the belt and me dismantling it 
and understanding the mechanics of like what is, and granted, I didn't have that language at 12, but that's literally just what I was doing. I, I really always, I was intrigued by learning how things work. Um, and I think that is just the, that is the lens that I, I, my mother definitely um, helped foster that sense of curiosity and, and really encouraged it. Um, and coupled that with my, my creative, you know, kind of a spirit inside to it. And definitely I've always had it. I mean, everything from me, um, my, my sister used to call me rainbow bright because of just the way I would put together my outfits. Right. As like, as a little kid, it was just like, that's an awesome nickname, by the way, <laughs> shout out to your sister. <laughs> yeah. She'll appreciate that. But yeah, you know, it was just like, there's just this sense of creativity. And, and like I said, just like, how do things really work? And when they're broken, how do you fix it? And I think that, um, you know, I'll definitely, I can talk about how that is really carried. Um, or I've carried that general, um, kind of anchoring of, of navigating the world uh, throughout my life and, and ultimately even where I am now career-wise. And so started in sixth grade, went to, and got into programs that were similar to even SMASH, right? So we're, I know we're gonna be talking about SMASH where I'm um, leading that particular organization right now and, and the work that we're doing. And so I was in programs like that. I, um, not so exactly- let's, let's, we're gonna get to it, but when you say programs like that, programs like what? What, what is SMASH? I mean, just in one, when we say program, yeah, program that focus without us getting too much into it just yet. Yeah, absolutely. So basically, it's programs that were really built to encourage and prepare young students of color to pursue STEM. That that was really that was the the main, and they and that came by way of um, strengthening your math skills, your science skills, as well as having hands-on um, engagements with, you know, for me, when I was in a program at UC Berkeley in the sixth grade, I used to go to Saturday Academy and I would basically build, we had different competitions. So it was everything from like the egg drop to um, building a radio, um, what am I trying to say, radio, what is it? Remote control vehicle. There we go. And racing that against other teams and really understanding even, you know, what, why was one vehicle going faster than the other and how could we optimize its speed, you know, and that, so you're applying the, the, the basics of just at least even hands-on understanding in engineering, um, using also your math and your science skills, et cetera. So that was, that was, those were, those were the programs that I was a part of starting as early as the sixth grade. And I continued on throughout high school, knowing that I had really taken to um, this idea of being an engineer, but I will say I didn't really, I didn't have a full understanding or grasp, um, even one coming out of high school. So I declared on my intended major, nuclear engineering. The only reason why nuclear engineering was on my application was because I had done, I had um, completed a report on nuclear engineering in one of my physics classes when I was in, wow. high school, right? That's but that was point. like, when I really look back on that, I'm like, wait, nuclear engineering? Like, why? But that was just because that was the only exposure at that time. So one of the things that was missing that I, I'm really happy that we do a lot of in Smash is it's not just the exposure to the material, the coursework itself, but it's exposing from the idea of 
professionals, like what are they doing? What are the different career pathways that this particular set of skills can take you on? And I, and so I think that was for me, not really knowing, but I knew I wanted to do engineering because of my early predisposed self of wanting to understand how things work. Mechanical engineering came by way of more so when I got to Georgia Tech and I started in the beginning, your early courses are um, like your general um, prerequisites. You basically get a sampling of all the engineering schools. So I had, you know, I was in a uh, electrical engineering course. I was in civil engineering, et cetera. And I was able to then from that exposure um, in kind of real time at Georgia Tech, understand that I, mechanical engineering seemed like the most um, or the best fit, I'll say, for my interest because my interests were really broad. But I also, this mechanical engineering is so much rooted in, it, it basically grabs a hold of all the engineering fields. Hey, hey boy. That, that's all right. You got your protector there. <laughs> no, and it's a ring. It's a ring. Or I'm my apologies. <laughs> so, now, yeah. now, were you were, were were you like one of the only minority students in your class? Or I mean, what, oh, like yes. I'm sure there probably weren't, you know, and especially like as a woman. Yes. Um, in my classes at well, so in my my early exposure programming while I was in high school, that was specifically designed for minorities in engineering and science achievement was actually that, that was the program that I was a part of and so it I was surrounded by other kids who looked like me basically and came from the awesome. neighborhood that I came from but then when I moved into so pursuing my degrees at or my degree at Spelman I'm immersed I am I spent my I spent my first three years of undergraduate um, studies at Spelman College, right? So my, my orientation to learning and, and really diving deep into mathematics was I was surrounded by not only my peers who looked like me or were from the diaspora, as well as my professors from the diaspora. That's very, very powerful. And very small, yeah. very small classrooms too. So yeah, I wasn't this number, right? Like right. you were saying earlier, like, your, your professors didn't know who you were or that you were even in class or you missed class. Well, our professors knew us um, and, and you know there wasn't much hiding when you're in a class of like 17 um, young people, right? right? And so, yeah, I definitely had- There's um, no hiding. There's no hiding actually, <laughs> exactly. Now, now all, of this, all of this hard work, no hiding, busting, no hiding, busting your ass for, I mean, let's just face it. Let's get into your your career because we yeah, I want to make sure that we have some time to cover this amazing yeah. career that you've had and that you're still having. You know, you to start a career with an organization like BP is nothing short of phenomenal. Um, you you know you were there for eight years. I'm, I'm gonna kind of give a tell tell a little bit of the story here, and then you know you went on into the ed tech sector. You know, working for companies that got acquired for big dog from big dogs like McGraw Hill. You know, I know because I'm a professor. I'm also I have a, I have an ed tech startup. Okay. Um, and then you know, for the last almost seven years, you've been a CEO of Smash. And you know, just that trajectory. You know, that you know, for those especially younger listeners, when you talk about 
you know, hard work and, and to stay in the course. Um, you know, you, uh, from what I understand, is the first female CEO uh, of Smash, if, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. And so, you know, these are the type of things uh, that result from the hard work. Um, and I, I want to talk more about uh, Smash. You were just about to, you know, talk about, I mean, you didn't start as a CEO, you know, you started, you moved your way up. So talk a little bit about, um, let's talk a little bit about BP just briefly. And then let's, let's, let's talk, uh, let's, let's definitely focus on Smash for the remainder of our, uh, our conversation here. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, one thing I'll, you definitely called out, like I spent my first, almost first decade of my professional career working in the energy sector for BP. Um, I definitely took a rather, I would call it an, an unorthodox approach to my journey while at BP because, <clears throat> excuse me, I was very, <clears throat> sorry. And I can't mute my, for some reason, my screen is frozen too. So I can't, um, uh, I can't. It's, it's, okay, it's all right. Just take a, take a second if you need to get some water. <clears throat> okay. Thank you, sorry about that. Sure. <clears throat> okay, so I, I spent- I, I'm, I'm not panicked anymore because Zoom gave us a free Christmas <laughs> gift and removed our 40 minute time limit. So I'm, oh, I'm, we're, oh. we're, we're in the clear. <laughs> Okay. Um, so no, just in general, like as it relates to my, my first career chapter, if you will, that was in the energy sector. Um, I did not, I, I want to, I would be remiss to not say to, to share with you that it was not in my plan to go and work for the energy sector. I am not, I'm an Oakland native, but my parents are both um, Berkeley born and raised. Uh, my mother is a UC Berkeley alum. I grew up on the campus as, you know, I was two years old. My sister was nine while my mother as a single parent was completing her studies at UC Berkeley, right? So I have the spirit of Oakland and Berkeley that was, I was born into that, right? And so this idea of working for Big Bad Oil, quite frankly, was so counterintuitive to everything that I grew up seeing protests about, you know, um, oil and drilling, et cetera. So I then, I actually- I, I'm not gonna lie. I, I grew up, you know, not to get you, but I grew up seeing mostly like not so positive like images about, mm -hmm. I mean, whether it's just like the impact of the, on the environment or spills right. and drilling, right? Um, I, you know, I guess the reason I'm saying it is because I guess you know, for some people, you really have to consider like <laughs> almost the reputation, right? Like of the of of of, of the company and the. I mean, I guess that that goes without saying, you know. But there's just like there's a certain prestige also and working in big energy and working for a company like BP and being a minority. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like a, uh, kind of like an inner struggle, if you will. So it's interesting to hear you talk about that. Indeed. Yeah. It, it's a, it's definitely an inner struggle and there was definitely turmoil that, you know, um, just from my identity that I developed 
um, you know, over the years by way of my educational experiences, my living um, experience in my community, it definitely, you know, I, I will say I did not feel proud of the work that I was doing. I, I, I was always very, I was very quiet about my career when I first um, started with BP because I thought, and this is no knock to BP, you know, hopefully they, you know, any of your listeners who are working there, this is no disrespect to an organization that also, if I had to say, I think is one of the more progressive um, super majors that are out there in the energy space. And I, I know though, for me, it was, I took this, this journey throughout the the corporation at large, where I actually, when I was saying earlier, it was a rather unorthodox approach because I didn't just stay in one particular stream or segment um, of the sector. I moved from what they call the upstream, which is exploration and production, where all basically all the reserves are discovered um, throughout the world, to then moving into midstream, where I worked. I even at one point was on the trade floor for um, gas and power. So really understanding how the market moves. Uh, and then I moved into the refining and marketing side of the, of the sector where now it's like once the product is, you know, out, it's, um, it's being, you know, it hits the, the end user and what that experience is. And, like, and, and you even, you know, not to tell you, but you even, this really stood out to me. And the reason why is because I started, you know, I'm in big tech, I'm at Microsoft. And I started in Microsoft retail, but you ended in BP retail. You ended in an area that I started, which is incredible. So BP retail, I see, you know, for almost a few years, you, you talk about a, 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 the full spectrum of experiences, which is, which is a good thing. It's, it's good that I guess, you know, BP allowed you to do different, you know, I love that about Microsoft and organizations that allow you to, um, work in different orgs, right? Like within the larger, within the company. Um, but the, the retail uh, experience, we, we share that in common. That's, that's you know, for, in big energy, I don't know what that looks like. You know, obviously in big tech, Microsoft, you know, it's a lot of products, a lot of licensing, but what does retail look like in big energy? I mean, I think about pumping gas. I, I mean, to be honest with you. I, I as you should. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So it's everything from the forecourt, right? Where you are, that's what that area is called, where you're out there at the actual pumping stations, um, to the inside, uh, where you've got the, uh, I'll just say without say, calling any specific brands, like the Zuzus and Wham Whams, right? Like where you are, by the snacks, the convenience aspect, the um, quick service restaurant that you may have embedded within that particular um, convenience location, gas and convenience location. So it was, that was a, a shock to the system. And, and not, I moved into, when I moved into retail, I actually had also simultaneously relocated with BP. So because our retail, our refining and marketing headquarters was in right outside of Chicago and the exploration and production side of the business is, is in Houston, Texas. So I was, um, I not only was in for a learning curve of about the retail space, but also um, the retail space within the within the context of a new city 
um, and, and Chicago and really the whole like Northwest Indiana and Wisconsin. And this is just, so I, I basically just like was dropped off on the deep end of, Hey, you're not only in a new environment, new city, the way things take place are very different from Houston. And you're also, uh, learning this, this retail business. And it was, it was super educational. Um, I was told by a mentor in Houston who was one of the few black executives. Um, what's, what's some of the, what, well, no, I definitely want to hear this mentor story. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. No, no, no. I'm just going to, all I'll say is that he was the one who actually told me to take the position um, of going into what was, you know, basically like a corporate, or I think it was a company account executive um, for retail. He said it would be, it is one of the most um, important leadership opportunities at the time with NBP. It was like, just do it, do it for two years and I'm, you will learn so much. And I, I, I did, I learned quite that's a amazing. Lot. Well, and yeah. that's what I was gonna ask. When you say you learned so much, can you tell me one of the most important takeaways that you, and what, I mean, what, what's, what's one of the most important takeaways that you learned when you say you learned so much? I mean, I think when people see, I think what was important, what I understood and learned a lot about was systems and like systems thinking. And it had, because of the fact that, and that's like with any business, there are, there are all these different um, variables at play, these different kind of um, your profit centers, those are all, those are systems that are working together. And I think, and then there's actual systems like how the gas is being measured underground and the safety measures that are, you know, constantly having to be monitored, um, which, I mean, we had, you would, you would have instances of people literally, I don't know if you've ever done this, but, and I never had, and I hadn't heard of it until I moved into that particular side of the business, but there are people who literally drive off with the pump still in their vehicle. <laughs> oh, I, I knew you were going to go, you, you know, I'm a lawyer, so okay. I, I, I knew, I knew you were going to go into, now you're all like, like wasted or rather neck deep into legal, right? Like yeah. that's one yeah. thing that's going to come into there retail. You go. Right? So you know about that labor yeah. law. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Like, uh-huh. uh, yeah. So yeah. I learned all of that. Ever- I learned everything about a business um, on a micro, like much more micro scale compared to the larger business of BP. But that's ultimately, that was my, my learning was almost like a uh, real-time MBA. Yeah. And I mean, the stuff that you, that you see on TV, like, yeah, this pump exploded because, you know, (laughs) someone was out of control and ran into the, now you're front and center in that. Like, who's at fault, who's liability. So pretty amazing. And even more amazing is how you're representative of the many possibilities, how you can write your own, even with me, I wanted to be able to do anything I wanted. And Mm -hmm. I say that humbly, but it's a reason why I got my my doctorate. It's a reason why I got my master's. It's a reason why I um, made the decisions that I made because I I wanted to be able to have options. Mm -hmm. You, you, You clearly have had options and still do. And I, I, you know, we just finished talking about big energy and then you pivoted into ed tech, like Mm -hmm. what in the world? (laughs) I mean, it's, it's, it's illustrative of really, you know, being able to do what you want. Right. 
mm-hmm. and, and not being boxed in of like a certain, you know, like, I, don't get me wrong. I love the law. I love being a, I love being a lawyer, you know, but it's, but a lot of, a lot of our profession is like, you know, it's common law. It's stuff that's not going to change. You know, it's written, you know, it's, it is what it is. <laughs> it's been, it's been that way since forever. Right. And we're talking about law you know, the good thing about tech is, is, is the innovation and just the different options that you have. And there's, you know, every, every industry has, whether it's education, whether it's big energy, whether it's, um, you know, fast food has, has tech, right. Has a tech. Um, when it comes to the pivot into ed tech, how did you do that? Let's talk a little bit about your, your, uh, experience there. And then, of course, we got to talk about Smash. Yes, absolutely. Um, I So originally, I left BP and joined an organization that provided academic intervention to Title I schools um, in the Midwest region was actually the region that I had um, accepted a role in. So I I was in SES, Supplemental Educational Services, which was a whole, that was my first- uh, I know about it. I was a tutor. You know I, was about an it? S- okay. I was an SES tutor. It was federally, oh, it was, okay. there was pros and, there was pros and cons. I mean, it's up to debate if, if we want to say that it was an overall success or failure, but mm-hmm. the, the overall um, goal of having paraprofessionals like us to help you know, low income and underprivileged students, I, I, you know, definitely was all for that. So that's why I participated. Yeah. And that's exactly. And so what, what, that was my, um, my, my drive as well, based on, so I, I spent the, you know, almost a decade in the energy sector, um, definitely had the exposure to the aerospace by way of NASA, had this exposure uh, to the automotive by way of Ford. And so I have, I have these corporate experiences and yet I still felt, um, I just found myself in spaces, right? Where more often than not, I was an only or few black women. And it really, you know, only magnified for me how easy it is to just almost shrink yourself or be like, you know what, this, this isn't for me. Um, and so self-opting out of these spaces, right? That where you don't see yourself, where you don't, you fundamentally know that this space was not built with me in mind. And I ultimately had hit my, my wall um, with, and it happened to coincide with my experience. I, you know, I was at BP and I, and it was actually on the heels of, um, I want to say it was probably the second spill that happened there in um, the Gulf of Mexico. And so when I talked about earlier and being ashamed of working for, you know, Big Bad Oil, that was really when the shame took over in a way where I had to really- Well, it was in the headlines. I mean, it was front and it was everywhere. It was everywhere. It was, it was, the, main, it was the main story of the world. It was a world story. It was a definitely a world story. And it was handled in a way that many could debate, especially if you were on the inside, um, handled poorly. It was a bit of a PR disaster. And so having that weigh in, weighing on me alongside with this feeling of, wow, I've been in all these different roles. I've been in these different um, sectors and I still, I don't see, I don't, I'm not fulfilled. I don't feel like I'm working for a purpose with 
a purpose. And so I um, actually, the way I, in education, education has always been like kind of running in the parallel, uh, in parallel with my professional career. I, when I came out of grad school, I was a winter graduate. So I had like almost six months before I started uh, working full time. I substitute taught at Atlanta Public Schools uh, or in Atlanta Public Schools. Um, during that time, I was a tutor in undergrad for young people from the West End community there surrounding uh, the AUC, Atlanta University Center. And so I've always known, I've always enjoyed, I mentored young people um, in South Shore, Chicago. And so that was, I always knew what my educational experiences afforded me and the privilege of having the, the choices, right? Or the choices to make around, do I wanna work in this sector? Uh, let me try this out within this sector that most people aren't able to. I knew it was because a lot of that had to, had to do with my background, my educational background is why people gave me, um, or at least it empowered me to make these decisions. And so, I in turn realized that was necessary for not just me, but all students who look like me, all students who you know come from the community uh, that I come from, or, or at least communities like that which I am I hail. And, from. and I can see why Smash it was a calling for you, which would about Absolutely. I mean if you if you put in that yeah. context without me even I mean without me yeah. even asking you. Mm -hmm. If you put everything in that context, and and obviously, you know, when we talk about SMASH, which again is at the intersection of, of STEM and social justice, yes. that, that I mean, you talk about a calling. So, mm -hmm. you, you know, you I did a great job in, in kind of relating how you, you know, went from big energy into education, because I mean, you essentially are a teacher at heart. I mean, you were subbing, you were, <laughs> you know, you were SEO, you know, doing the SES, so. Love I knew it. I was a teacher. I knew <laughs> I, I, I could teach, but I wasn't a teacher at heart, which is why I thought about, well, what other ways can I get into right. education, right? And really gotcha. support this movement. But yes, yeah. yes, definitely. <laughs> I wasn't equipped. I, hats off. I have so much respect um, and gratitude for our educators out there. And I know that that was not my calling per se, but I definitely um, wanted to do the work in the same space. Gotcha. And to to that, um, let's talk about. You know, well, we know that you you, did, you worked for a company for a, for a couple of years that eventually got acquired yes. uh, by McGraw Hill, which I talked about. Um, just, I mean, if you just want to briefly, I mean, was it was it a smooth acquisition? I mean, that's always interesting, right? You know, a company's working or a person's working for a company that gets acquired. How, I mean, how was that briefly? Yeah. So um, in brief, I, so I did join an ed tech startup um, that was really a, it was a spin out from uh, Stanford, actually. And so it was an interesting, it wasn't kind of your typical uh, startup from, you know, everything created from the ground up. It, there was a product that had essentially not been touched for a few decades. And this new company acquired the product and then built a business around it. And I had the, the really unique opportunity of kind of bringing in my operations lens, um, my strategic lens around like, how do we build the 
and our mechanics of this organization to be able to deliver on this product that we were we were maintaining the old product and then also building a new one in parallel off of the foundation uh, platform. And, and so I got exposed to, um, yes, what does it look like trying to merge cultures, trying to also manage a business while building a new business in parallel. Um, and then I, actually left the startup probably two months before it got acquired. I knew they were, there was definitely- okay, So you didn't, I didn't you know, I but did you know that it was, it was on the horizon? You knew it was on the horizon? I think there was definitely some writing on the wall. I knew there was a, a round, there was another round of funding that the founders were going out for um, and that had just started right before I decided to leave and, and actually come uh, or join Smash. They, they seem to be kind of aggressive with, with the, I mean, I can't say much because uh, mm -hmm. I just can't, but they, they, I do know they seem to, to me, they seem to be pretty aggr aggressive with their acquisitions. I, I have a, a colleague who, um, uh, who they're also looking at acquiring. Mm. So yeah, so yeah. that, you know, um, you know, that, that's that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Um, but you got out of there ultimately before. And and let's let's uh, talk about Smash before we wrap up. Definitely. Let's talk about it. And uh, if you could share, you know, you moved your way up. Um, you, you didn't start, obviously, as a CEO. So talk about your experience there and let's talk about the work that you're doing now. Sure. So I yes, I, I joined. Um, I originally joined Smash, what was known formerly known as Level Playing Field Institute. Well, well, what what is Smash? What's Smash? So Smash is a uh, basically we're an organization. We were founded on the campus of UC Berkeley almost twenty years ago now, and we're we were really established in response to the lack of like diversity in tech, right? Along with this fabled. Um, kind of narrative out there that there's a lack of STEM interest in abilities within communities of color. So the organization, we provide basically a, a series of college and career prep programs that take a long-term investment and holistic approach to developing low-income, first-generation students who are not only going to thrive in STEM careers specifically, but they're going to use their skills gained to effectuate change in their in their communities, communities that they they identify with, communities that they deem as important to them. So that's where the STEM justice education um, organization uh, kind of concept comes from, right? So that that's who we that. are. I love that. Yeah. So not only you know get the get the the skills, but use them and use them in your community, like use them in the community that you care about. Yeah. Awesome. Um, now, being the first uh, female CEO of Smash, which is incredible. Congratulations again on such a, a great accomplishment. Um, what is your um, you know what is the you know mission and and what are you as a CEO? want to see you know for smash what are you all focused on and what's what's you know what's the future look like for the organization yeah that's a great question i, I wish you know we all could really read uh, that crystal ball right to say what's the what is the future these days um but i do have i we do have our intentions of of what we would like to see um 
basically, you know, one, just acknowledging the first, your first part of the question, I have been with the organization um, a little bit over seven years. And so I was, my appointment as CEO roughly six months ago, um, I, I, it was very, it, it felt like, okay, it's time. Um, because when I did join the organization, I was very focused on preparing, trying, not even trying, building out the organization such that it would be able to scale. Um, and in, that infrastructure was really necessary and important because it was not in place uh, prior to my arrival. And so we, I really spent the first um, six years working at, you know, on the inside basically um, to, and ensuring that we were delivering our programs as we did create our start our national expansion efforts that we were in fact uh, delivering on what we said we were going to do for these new communities that we were operating in. So we originally, we were, like I said, founded in Berkeley. Um, so we've served the Bay Area for almost 20 years now. And then we moved into Southern California. And then from the state of California, our first site outside of the state was in Atlanta, Georgia at uh, Morehouse College. And so that, and then from there, Morehouse served as the beachhead for us to continue expanding uh, throughout the nation. And it was really at this time, two years ago, or almost 20 months, right, where we, like everyone else, COVID hit, right? And our program, and, and I think it's probably worthwhile kind of breaking it down, like how it works, right? So our scholars start with us in the, the year after, I'm sorry, the summer after their freshman year of high school. And they start with us in Smash Academy, which is our three-year high school college prep program. That program is anchored by an annual five-week summer institute where our young people are attending class, um, workshopping, and living on a university campus. So for us to not have or not be able to deliver what is such a core part of our program, we very much quickly as an organization had to pivot and, and, and be able to extract from our in-person programming what is most viable to be delivered in a virtual setting. So we did that, um, we've done that successfully, and we're now about to go into a hybrid model of programming where we're gonna have both um, in-person and virtual programming. But I, I share all of that just to show that we, my, my focus was really about going, us going through these changes, me leading uh, the organization through these changes from an operational perspective um, and programmatically for sure around program design, et cetera. And so in that, I think it's, you know, when basically- um, I mean, let's face it, making sure that y'all survive those changes. Right. Like not even I mean, there's some some organizations that's you know, some businesses can't even survive them, you know, even if you wanted to. So awesome, you know, not only leading through, but you know, just you know, sounds like y'all are stronger than ever. 
We have that. And that's what I think like, and so me stepping into this role at this time, I feel very encouraged. I feel um, that the team has the will, right? I think there's still some skills that we all have to develop to understand who we are going to be, what is, what is our new identity as an organization, essentially, as we move into this post-pandemic era. And because I think it, it's, you know, like society right now, I mean, I think at large, we really thought we would see some significant changes, but there is this human nature to want to stay, keep a hold of what we know and what we understand. And us as an organization, we, we know and we understand 20 years of a particular model. Um, we know that it has transformative impact. We have the data that supports that. And we also know that our, you know, our partners, our university and college partners, things are changing for the higher ed landscape, um, as well as the general virtual learning environment. Ed tech in particular is, you know, definitely the, the space was already saturated and now it's continuing to proliferate, right? And so we have all of these different conditions, environmental conditions that are changing. People are changing, humans are changing, right? In terms of how they, how they see the world, what our young people want out of life, et cetera, because of these experiences. And so for us, what I'm looking forward to vision-wise is reimagining what STEM justice education looks like in this new era, this post-pandemic post era, um, that is. That is bold and needed, and you have my support. I Thank love you. it. <laughs> um, that uh, I mean, super, super awesome. Can you tell our listeners how they can support Smash? You know where they can find you know more information, and also how they can how they can connect with you. You know what's your what's your preferred way? You've got a lot of folks that may want to be interested in you know partnering or you know different kind of strategic alliances and such. So share how how they can uh, get in touch with you and your organization. Sure. So um, for sure, if you want to learn more and really get into like the, the real the knit and grit data uh, and our impact data in particular, which we are incredibly proud of, um, you can visit us at smash.org. Um, and in terms of getting directly in touch with me, I am not so great at, on social media, but I am there. I do have a Twitter presence. Uh, I am Danielle. M Rose, and then also um, my information, you can always communicate with us on the website as well. And so really welcome the audience to, if you know young, a young person in Atlanta, in Boston, in Detroit, um, in Chicago, in the Bay Area, in Southern California. If you know- I gotta get down to Florida. Y'all gotta get down to- And we gotta, gotta get, get down, down to, to Florida. Florida. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so that, that is what we can work on. That could be a part of the vision, right? So we're hey, reimagining I, I, I can help you with, Florida. I can help you with that. Yeah, let's do it. Yes, yes. So by all means, um, if you know young people who this might be a fit for that might be just curious about STEM, um, send them our way. And then also educators who uh, lead with student voice um, and really are looking to support our young people uh, along their STEM journey, by all means, come check us out. And then also those who are looking to um, uh, 
pay it forward, right? Uh, by all means, we also welcome and, and definitely need the support for uh, the upcoming 700 young people in high school that will be serving next year, along with the 800 uh, college going young people that will be serving next year. So uh, welcome all support. And, and definitely, or just even from a thought partnership, by all means, please um, feel free to reach out to me. I'm always looking to learn and discover how things work, what happens when they break down and how to make it better. And, and I think that's uh, essentially representative of just where we are in terms of this new, this new day. Awesome, awesome, Danielle. Let's uh, let you close, you, you wanna leave, uh, any last words with our, our listeners before we uh, finally wrap up? Any parting words? <laughs> um, I, you know, I think it's, I, I want, I want to thank you, um, Tamante, for this time, this opportunity to be able to share a little bit about my story, as well as just the really critical work that is being done at SMASH. Um, and I know that we, I think in this world of technology that we are looking for um, instant results, right? Just add water and it should be there because we have it at our fingertips. Um, I think we need to recognize that there is no hacking um, one's educational experience um, and especially for our young people who have been and when I say our young people, Black, Latinx, Indigenous um, students, the schools um, across the board have not uh, necessarily served us um, to the best of the system's ability. Uh, and so we, we definitely have a real opportunity to um, continuing making the investment in our young people. And that's a long-term investment. It, it does not happen overnight and it doesn't happen within just a matter of hours. Um, so I, I just would leave the audience with that, that know that this is a journey. Um, it's, a, it's a long journey, but it, it can absolutely be one that is rewarding and for the greater good of humanity. Danielle, I appreciate those parting words. And I know our listeners do too. It has been a pleasure and an honor to have you as a guest uh, on my show. Uh, we'll, we're gonna go ahead and wrap it up. And for my listeners, thank you all for listening. Be sure to tune in to the next episode of the Ed Up Edge STEM podcast with me, your host, Dr. Tamante Leary. And on that note, we're gonna go ahead and uh, say bye-bye. Danielle, if you wanna say bye, we appreciate bye. you all listening. All right, thank you all for listening. Thank you. You've been listening to another episode of Ed Up Edge, the STEM edition with your host, Dr. Tamante Leary. You can follow me on LinkedIn and please leave a rating review and subscribe to be notified of future episodes. Until next time, thanks for listening.